Hey, hey. Hey. Yeah, I always like yeah. going to the dumps. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about it, and, and yeah. they closed early today, so I had to. Uh... No, no problem at all, man. I never, never a problem. I, uh, when I was in the army, I, I, in the boot camp, I got the best job that there was. Well, I made sure to be a driver first, you know, kind of part of my strategy. But then uh, the best job as a driver was to be the garbage truck driver. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic, man. I didn't do anything. I didn't do parades. I didn't do the PT, the exercise. Didn't do inspections. Did none, none of that crap because, you know, you've got to start early and you're kind of out of the system. And, you know, I, I worked for civilians. And, and that time, you know, in apartheid South Africa, I actually worked for a black civilian inside the military. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so, you know, the, 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 the black guys did the... Cause that, that time, it wasn't like the, the garbage truck here, you know, where it picks up the thing and dumps it. It's just the bin and, you know, they, they tip it by hand in, inside the back of the, of the truck, you know. And, and, and the, 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 the garbage truck is just a, a box that can tip. That's it. It's very primitive. So the uh -huh. guys had to manually empty it into the back, you know. But because of the army rules, they can't have a civilian driving army vehicle. That's just army rules. So they had to have, uh, you know, one of the, the, the army guys uh, drive the truck. But it was great, man. I got out of the camp. I got to stop at the shop, which is a big deal, you know, because the camp is like outside the. the, the yeah, it's was. isolated. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, that that's a huge power, you know. You 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 can get stuff for people, and it's a favor, and you know, like okay, I get stuff for you, but you buy me something as well, you know, stuff <laughs> like that. So, it was huge, and it's a very pretty town. It's it's a it's a it was a university town with the with the camp was nearby. So, you know, I got, and to get to the dump, I had to drive through this town, and the dump was way on the other side of the town, and so, and the dump was a pretty trippy place, man, I wrote a story about it, man, it was like, in this, like, a semicircle of hills, and you, you had to dra drive through graveyards to get to it, so the whole little road is, because the, the wind blows all the, the garbage from the, from the dump, obviously, so, so through this, 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 these graveyards on, on, on the edge of these hills you saw all the garbage in the bushes because you know it's kind of a bush felt and it was like very creepy and it was really weird and then you had this little snaky road that kept going up the hills as you as you went higher and higher you know because the, the, the dumps those old style dumps they, they, they didn't they, they needed height so you could tip it on the edge of the, of the slope uh -huh. at any rate so they also burned the garbage so as you went up into this little semicircle of hills it gradually got darker and darker because the smoke would kind of crowd in the in the little corner of the hills where the dump was. So it was like driving into hell. It was really trippy, man. It was wild. And then when you got to the dump, so as you got closer, you got it got steeper and steeper. And the very large last part was like super steep, and you had to like really go into first gear and go up to it. And then like as you got onto the top of the hill, right on the little edge like that you suddenly came up and there was this little area under the smoke which was the garbage uh, the dump right but uh -huh. so as you looked onto it you saw the fires burning and then there were these old hag women that were like scratching in the garbage and there was a donkey and these really scraggly dogs and the flames coming up and they you know where they're still like left over from the burning and the smoke it was like so totally like hell it was unbelievable and, and then the cherry on top Right. So the first time we go there, uh, a friend of mine was with me, a co-driver. So the first time we get there, we don't know what the hell's going on. You know, it's like new. I don't know what's. So uh, the the guys at the back just say, "Wait," you know. So okay, well, we just wait. 
So we sit there waiting. We don't know what's going on. The next minute, this guy just appears out of the middle of nowhere. A black guy, but he's like very, very alive with lots of vitality, lots of energy and like fierce eyes. And he's got a very uh, neat beard, very like black, black beard. It was trippy, man. It was really wild. It's like, oh my God, we just cracked up, man. It's like, man, yeah, we got, we're in hell and here comes the devil. <laughs> but you know what was even funnier? My friend got out of the truck because we're waiting and he's like looking around. Because where we stopped was where, where the devil, as we called him, where he had his little place there where he stayed over there, right? So mm-hmm. in front of his place, he had all the stuff that he'd pulled out of the garbage that was of value or used to him, right? So my friend is looking through this. and says, oh, this is interesting, this is interesting. And then when the guy came, man, did he scold my friend? He like shut on his head, leave that, like really like let him have it. It's like, oh my God, my friend dropped the thing and jumped back into the truck. He scared the <laughs> crap out of my friend. It was too hilarious. It was unbelievable. And then to even further, I don't know if you if you know the the the, the Paganini, the the violent guy. You know, he used to call him the devil's violinist. So right at that time that we get there uh, every day, the uh, the radio station we'd listen to would have a, 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 a classical music concert. And, of course, they're playing Paganini that day. It was just too... Um, that's why I wrote the story about it. I mean, it's like everything just came together. It was too trippy, man. So anyway, I might as well tell you the rest of the story now because it's a cool little story. So, all right, so the devil guy, he says to us, all right, come, come, come. And he's like really like full of vibe energy and he points us to where we need to go. So we, he pushes us to the edge of the of the slope where you see the garbage and, well, it just like kind of disappears. And I'm thinking, oh, I've got to like tip over here. No, 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 he says down, down. All right, okay, so we go down. Now, to go down these slopes... This is like, man, you can't imagine a steeper road. I mean, any steeper, the freaking truck would have fallen over, you know, would have tipped over. So, of course, we go down like one inch at a time, <laughs> essentially, like, because it's, it's super steep. And, you know, i got a truck full of garbage, too, so it's kind of weight on it. Okay, so we get down, and now we're in, like, the first level of hell. Okay, we're going to be here. No, no, the devil says... But he's waiting for us there, by the way. How he gets there ahead of us, I don't know. Yes, I'm going slowly, but still, I'm I'm not going that slowly. And I didn't see how he got there either. So, okay. So, my friend and I are like, how the fuck did he get here? All right, never mind. So, he said, no, we got to go down another level. Okay. We descend further into hell. And, of course, he's waiting for us there again. And, again, we did see. It's like, how the hell does he get here? Of course, his myth now is being the actual devil just grows. You know, we haven't fun with this whole thing. So I says, no, we got to go even further down. we got to go to the third level of hell. So all the way we go down. And so we had to tip down there. But man, now we got to come back up all this way on this steep road. And getting up, I mean, that truck really struggled to get all the way up. It managed, but still, you know, it was like, oh my God, we're going to get stuck and trapped in hell. Anyway, so uh, that was just amazing, the whole concept. And, you know, we did this like regularly, you know, pretty much every day. So one day, of course, the truck does freaking all break down and stop. And then we had to, it was like a big rigmarole to phone. The devil actually had a phone, which was quite trippy. And so the 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 repair truck from the camp came out and fixed it right there on the slope. Man, it was like a whole procedure. It was really trippy and wild. But that hell, going to hell every day like that, man, that was just wild. It was just incredible. It never got old, that vibe, that atmosphere, and the devil guy. It was just incredible. It was something else. 
Anyway, I, I, I get sidetracked on the story, but it's a fun story because it was so perfect. Everything just kind of fell together like that. Oh, it's amazing. Anyway. Yeah, well, especially, especially when it comes out on on the on the, in replacing the actual service you have to make in the army and all this. Right. Uh, you know. It's not fun. <laughs> yeah, well, it was just a one time you break down, but you know, we went every day, so it was pretty good. No, cool. I'm talking about like instead of uh, running around and uh, obey all those oh, officers. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, was, out oh, field, oh, you feel oh, like yeah. you're, uh, you know, you're out of jail, you oh, know? Shit, oh, shit, yeah, it was free, it was fantastic, you know, it was brilliant. And, you know, while while the guys are unloading and while they're loading, I, I would read, you know. So it was fantastic. You know, okay, they just bang on the truck and then you move a little forward to the next bin and they load. Ah, man, you know, so because at that time I, I was, I was, you know, since I was a kid already, I would read at least one book a day, you know. So it was ideal for me, you know, in terms of being able to sit around. And then, of course, when you get back to the camp, you know, I didn't go and give the truck back straight away. You know, if we got back a little earlier, I'd kind of park where they had their little shack where they kind of kept their stuff, whatever they did, you know, like where they would hang out. It was like on the other side of the of the camp, which is perfect because it was nice and private. It was very peaceful over there. And, you know, I would take as long as I possibly could and sit and read there until it was time to go back. And, of course, when I get back, you know, the... the the guys in the in the camp they just think you've been working hard. Oh, okay, whatever you know. Yeah, of course. <laughs> ah, it was fantastic. It was yeah, and, and you know the other bonus of it too, beside getting out of everything, was that of course you go to the kitchens and and pick up the kitchen garbage. And you know there's a lot of work to do there, so you get to know the kitchen guys. So every now and then you know you get friendly with a guy, and then they kind of give you extra food and all that. So ah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> lots of bonuses, lots of bonuses. But the main thing, like you said, just like getting out of the camp and being free and it's like I'm on my own all day I, I'm you know no officers nobody telling you what to do nothing not that I minded that but it's still you know in the, as a driver in, in that camp you, you basically had nothing to do and before I was the garbage truck driver it took a little wangling to get to be the permanent uh, uh, garbage truck driver so that's kind of another little fun story so yeah, you, of course, because everybody want to take that uh, job. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so you had a a, a clerk who's also one of the because we we are conscripted, you know, we're not permanent force, obviously, you know, like you you know how it works. So, uh, one of the con, uh, the conscriptees like me get, was the clerk in the in the in the in the transport as a driver, the driver clerk. That's what he was called. And he had power because he would hand out the assignments. There were other assignments like being the duty driver, which is like you're on duty 24 hours and anybody needs to go. You sleep in the in the guard hut, which is kind of a miserable business because people are getting up every four hours and you don't get much sleep. But it was a cool job too because you get to drive all over the place and you get to go to really weird places that you would never think there was a need to go. At any rate. So this guy had all the power, and you know you had to kind of get in with him and kind of almost bribe him to get the uh, the the choice assignments for the driver. Other than that, you sat around all day long, and then the like permanent force uh, corporals and sergeants and stuff, they would just give you stupid shit to do because they don't know what to do with themselves. Like, you know, clean the windows that have been cleaned so many zillion times of all the vehicles and shit like that. You know, so just kind of mindless crap. At any yeah. rate, so I figured. I kind of saw how the thing with the garbage truck worked, it, and it was a, a, a finicky truck. It, it had a very, very tight fan belt for some reason. And so when you started it, even if the battery was charged, 
if the fan was too stuck on kind of the tight part of its rotation, it wouldn't turn and uh, and or it would would turn and you you'd kind of run the battery down, just trying to get it over that hump. So I figured out a trick how to get this work. You, you kind of just let the do one a quick turn on the on the ignition on the key to get the the to get just a little jerk in the fan, right? And then you get that little momentum and you, you immediately hit it again so that you overcome that initial resistance, right? So I figured out how to start this truck without needing to get the 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 the, the mechanics to come and bring the battery charger and restart you and jump start you, which is a pain in the ass. And they were all permanent force guys, of course, and they didn't like this. So, and, and it was a nuisance. And then, of course, uh, as you know, I don't know how the ranks are in the Israeli army, but I imagine the same thing. You've got your non-commissioned officers, and then you've got your your, your commissioned officers, right? So, like all your yeah. sergeant majors, they they essentially run the show, right? And in a yes. camp like that, the guy that's got the second most power to the commandant of the camp is the regimental sergeant major, or the RSM as they call him, right? He's the highest ranking of the non-commissioned officers, and his job oh. is all the stuff that makes the camp work. Now, you want to get in trouble, you piss off the RSM because he's exactly, in actual yeah. they're right. more dangerous than any officers or the commanders. Exactly. Only the Those are the guys that's running the show. Exactly. Only the commandant has more power than him, right? Those are the two main guys in the camp. Now, if you're just a major who was the guy in charge of the of transport of us, he was just a major. He nothing, you know. <laughs> like, so he, he's like, uh, yeah, there are lots of majors, and but relative to the RSM, this guy got to pay attention. You don't piss off the RSM, and all the officers know this. So I said, I, that's that was my way of like I understood the rules of how the system worked. Once you know the rules, once you know how the system works, then you can use it to advantage. So I go to the captain. I said to him, Captain, as you know keeping the RSM happy is most important and when the, the the garbage truck the guys don't get it started and they don't know how to work it and they don't know the route and they get all this then the RSM gets really unhappy when the garbage doesn't get picked up yes yes okay he knows all this so I said well you know I really know how the truck works I get it you know I can start it no problem and I know the route and so what I'm recommending is or what I'm asking is I said to the guy I'd like to be the permanent garbage truck driver Actually, I started with that, and he said, oh, why? And then I said, well, because, uh, you know, you want to keep the RSM happy, and it's necessary. So anyway, so I explained the whole deal about being permanent and why it's a good thing, and it's keeping the RSM happy. Okay, he says, so he made me permanent garbage truck driver, which was huge. And, of course, you know, nobody <laughs> else was very happy with my whole deal, but it worked for me, man. It was great. So so I, I, it didn't just come about, you know. I had to kind of make it happen, but that's the way it is with stuff. So it was fun. <laughs> It's just interesting. Yeah, how no, I, I, I can relate. I uh, for yeah. my service, you yeah, know, yeah. Years, we went through the same yeah, motion. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing with the military. It's the same everywhere in the world. The same system, same logic, works the same. And and once you really understand it, it's fantastic, you know. So I'll tell you another little story. So we drivers, right? And you know the buffalo. I don't know what they call it in um, in Israel, but it's that the. the the, it's a troop carrier and it's an anti-tank you know with a V shape like that and you know it takes like I don't know 10 or 12 guys in the back oh something is playing here one second yeah, to... what is this no idea oh, some I don't know was a, 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 yeah. a, a panic place on one of the website here. 
Well, a- anyway, you, you, uh, the, this vehicle actually, oh, I, I believe, one was... Second, one second, one second, it's going back again. Oh, ah, wow, okay. Okay, all right. So this buffalo, as they call it in South Africa, I don't know what they call it in Israel, they actually sold them to the Israeli army, made in South Africa, this this V-shaped uh, anti-mine troop carrier, right? Uh, yeah. Transports. Yeah. yeah, they're very common. But they got like four forward gears and four backward gears, right? And they can kind of run through the bush and you can like a little tree, even if the tree's like, you know, you can, I don't know, uh, six, nine inches, 12 inches even in diameter. You can just run right over them. It's no problem. It's pretty wild. <laughs> anyway, so, so as part of our driver training, you know, I got to drive really big, long, huge trucks and, and stuff like that. So, and, and one of the certifications or things to be a driver is to get the Buffalo license. So I said, no, fuck, I don't want this freaking... I mean, you can't say no when they're training you. So anyway, uh, and, well, you know, you, you only need basic competence. So it's like I couldn't really fake, like, oh, I can't drive the Buffalo. You know, I can drive any freaking truck. Like if I drive the garbage truck, you can drive the Buffalo. So anyway, yeah. so I went to the clerk, one of them, the guy who works in the HQ, who's just a clock there, and he's just a regular clock, and I said to him, hey, do me a favor, in my file, will you pull my buffer license and just throw it away? Which he did. It was fantastic. So anyway, a, a long story, I, I ended up getting German measles. We went on this uh, big excursion out into the bush, and then all the, the regular troops, they do specialized training and shit, which is terrible for them, but we got to lay around all day, and I wrote a lot of poetry at that time anyway. <laughs> so I said, well, coming back from this uh, uh, before we left which was cool I got German measles at exactly the right time because I didn't have to pack up and drive back and all that so that so I just kind of avoided all that I ended up in the hospital with the German measles for, and I stayed there for like two weeks which is fantastic for me too so coming out of this uh, while I had the German measles it was like absolutely perfect timing it was just fantastic while I had the German measles the, our whole um, regiment the, the whole camp essentially all, all shipped off to the border you know the Namibia um, Angola border where basically they didn't really do any fighting they weren't all matched they were just back up like like basically a barrier to infiltration by terrorists and shit but anyway the, the main thing that if you got shipped to the border it was just absolutely uh, freaking mind-numbing boredom because you know those cartoons, the French Legion cartoons, where they where they just make those the, in the desert they make those humps of sand as the wall, like the fort from the sand, you know, earth like a walled earth fort. Yes, yes, you yes, ended yes. up in places like that. It's hot, it's miserable, it's absolutely bugger all to do except drink, and I didn't really drink, so you know the guys freaking all became alcoholics out there, which is really terrible. But anyway. So it's like, fuck, I don't want to go up there. You know, not that there's a big danger. It's just the mind-numbingness of it. So, yeah, screw that. You know, it's like, so I, I, so that's why I asked the guy to pull my buffer license because that's what you go up there to do. So anyway, so I'm coming out of the, uh, the, um, the hospital and I just check myself into the, into the, uh, you know, our, 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 um, uh, what the hell is the word I'm looking for? But, you know, where we stayed. You know, I I just go and I'm I'm alone in in the whole big bungalow, the dormitory, I guess, where, where we we lived, uh-huh. which is very cool. And you know, I took it on myself to water the garden because nobody was there and I'm all alone, which is great. I'm just like, well, hey, what am I gonna do? You know, it's like I just don't go and talk to the authorities. Well, I got out of the hospital. There's nobody here. What's happening? I'd also put in a transfer to go back to to Cape Town to to my hometown because you know there was stuff going on with the court case with our tenants and a big deal so 
my logic was, yeah, okay, well, I'm waiting for my transfer. So lo and behold, the sergeant comes along, oh, what are you doing? Well, I got out of the hospital and they shipped off, but I'm waiting for a transfer and, you know, I'm just waiting. Okay, he says, oh, well, what can you do? You know, it's just the army, stuff happens like that. They just accept stuff when you tell them that this is like bureaucracy, right? <laughs> so right. I had a great time for, I don't know, it was at least a couple of weeks that I was there uh, in this thing. So then I figured, well, now I'm in an infantry regiment, right? But I figure at some point, somebody's going to, like, you, you can't be an anomaly too long, right? So How long is the service uh, two that years. you're obligated two, to two serve? Two years, yeah. Two, two years? Two years, okay. yeah. That time was two years. They made it, right after I finished, they reduced it to one year, but anyway. So, so, so I figure if you, if you like, outside the system, and it's, you can only do it for, like, a, a short while. If you push it too long, then somebody's going to say, well, you know, your transfer should have happened by now or whatever, you know, you're going to transfer. They, they're going to question it and, and you'll get in trouble. So I say, okay, well, the solution is I go to the HQ regiment to their dormitories and I just go and check myself in there and find an open bed and so, okay. And I, basically as if I've been sent there by the bureaucracy, I, I just take it on myself to reassign myself. <laughs> and nobody says a word because who's going to question you when you do something like that? Nobody, like the troops, right, the, the, the ordinary regular troop guy, they, they just can't imagine that you would do something so outrageous to basically just transfer yourself, right? It's just, and yeah, the same thing with, with the corporals and the sergeants. You know, the permanent force guys, they, they're not known for being the brightest of the bunch, right? I don't know in Israel if it's like that, but over there it was, it was not a job that was sought out really, you know. Anyway... <laughs> So I check myself in there and everything's yeah, no, going happy. No, no, no. Sometimes, they, they, many times they design a job for certain soldiers, right, you know, right. also. Exactly, exactly. Based on, the, you right, know, right. based on what's happening in ground. Right, you know, right. But I mean, it was it was a very poorly paid job. And if you and, and at that time, you know, I mean, if you're a white guy in South Africa and you can't get a good job, well, there's something wrong with you, you know. So you end up. <laughs> you end up in the army here, basically, as a permanent force. You know? So, so they didn't have a reputation for being the best and the brightest. You know, the the corporals and the sergeants. Now, as you go a little higher up, it got better, of course. But, you know, you were basically a screw up, and that was it. At any rate, so nobody questioned me, and, and I was cool, and I went and did whatever. I just hung out on my own, and that's when I, I made the point to be the permanent garbage truck driver, because then I had somewhere to go, you know. So, so anyway, so I spent time doing this while waiting for the transfer. So the point of my little story, though, is so at some point the you know the bureaucracy catches up because they eventually do, and I get called to the commandant's office, and he's like, okay, uh, you know, uh, he's looking through my file, and he's deciding whether or not to grant my request for the transfer back to the hometown or send me up to the border while the bureaucracy takes care because the the, the transfer because it's a social transfer so social services or at least the army's version of social services has to check into it which is not his call the, the commandant right you know it's not it's not a military yeah. thing so he's deciding whether to send me up to the border while I wait for the transfer or leave me where I am so he, he opens the file and he obviously looked at my file when I first put in the request and he says to me so you've got a buffer license right and he's paging through my file and I just say nothing I say come on guy you said you took it out oh I see you don't as his pages he's like oh wait hang on yeah, I see you don't have one okay never mind alright just stay where you are <laughs> he sends me back to the, to the HQ and eventually I got my transfer it was fantastic 
<laughs> it was great because when I got transferred, you know, you want to talk about something really cool, right? So I get I get transferred to an HQ unit of um, of a um, uh, what do they call them? I'm trying to remember the the name now. But basically, these are a reserve units, right? We were I got transferred to an HQ unit of a reserve unit. So like the Scottish Highlanders, they would call them, you know, it's a reserve unit from the old British days. And if there was really something major that happened, they would call all these. Yeah, they'd they, they be called. Right, yes. exactly. Yeah. But anyway, so in the meantime, you know, when nothing's going on, these guys would get together once a year and they'd kind of trot out the equipment and, you know, have a little party essentially, but just basically keep themselves in shape. But for the rest of the year, there's only the the two permanent guys that are assigned to that unit, which is usually their commandant and a sergeant major. So... Our unit uh, would serve as, we were the HQ for all of this. So one of the key jobs in the HQ unit was to be the postal driver because they they all year round they're always updating people's files and there's always something going on. So one of the duties of the postal driver was to go around to all these units and actually deliver the mail from the HQ to the units because of course you can't trust the regular mail to do this. We use regular mail yeah. also, but you know that's army. <laughs> So this was a great job. It took me a little doing to get to be that driver, but I made sure I was. And man alive, was this just an awesome job. Beside the fact that I'm sleeping at home and I'm working from 8 to 4. That, that's my hours, right? And I'm, I'm staying at home every day. <laughs> that's already a bonus right there. But for the rest of the day, you know, I, I get to drive around Cape Town. Cape Town is a phenomenally beautiful city, and I go all over Cape Town. So I figure it's like, man, you know, all the other stupid drivers, they would, I don't know what they did, but they would get, you know, screw around. And I don't know, I guess they just had a slow way of driving. But I like figured the fastest possible route that I could possibly drive. Now, I didn't drive to get back to the to the HQ really fast. I took my time or drove fast because I could spend time doing other stuff and come back late, right? So one of the things that we got to do is like at the Scottish Highlanders in particular, they had a fantastic mess hall. I mean, really in that old British style with all the wood paneling. I mean, just beautiful luxury. And they had a full-size snooker table. Now, people know pool tables here. And a pool table is, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the size of a full-size a snooker table it's a huge thing snooker yeah snooker table yeah, of yeah. course it's much right. bigger, small holes small balls much harder to play right right yeah. exactly anyway so the sergeant major there loved to play snooker but of course he's on his own there all day there's nobody to play snooker with so we come alright off we go <laughs> we play a bunch of games with the sergeant major oh man every day this was fantastic so beside that we'd go and visit our friends and we'd hang out and you know we, we took as much time as we came and we'd get back like, I don't know, 3.30 just before 4 o'clock and my sergeant major in charge of, of the little, you know, section that dealt with the post, you know, my superior in other words, he just he used me as an example of a world working guy because we'd even miss lunch <laughs> you know, because lunch was free and we'd go and eat at the castle which was the uh, major, H it's like basically the Pentagon, you know, the South African version of the Pentagon, which is kind of cool too, but we'd skip that because, hey, I'm out playing pool or hanging out with my friends or whatever. <laughs> it's just great, man. I had, a, I had a blast in the army. It was very good. And I spent 14 months there out of the two years, you know, at home. So not all of them I was the permanent truck driver. I think I, 
six months so of the uh, like eight months I was the permanent tri driver something like that I forget because the previous guys you know you rotate every six months so the the guys who were in the job before me you know I drove with him as a co-driver and then I kind of took over his job when they cleared out you know when their time was up so that's kind of how the system worked but anyway it was pretty good man it was fun anyway you, you get me telling stories anyway uh, army stories yeah. are good so good hey <laughs> I can relate. Yeah, I told you that yeah, I that's why I thought I'd tell you the story because you you've been in the army the same way because you were also conscription, right? So yes, it's three years. Right. It's no, have no says. There is no mommy, daddy. Yeah, you know, yeah. they take that's it. Then you belong to the army. Yep, yep, yep <laughs> exactly. But you know, it's like okay, in Israel, you you have more actual real stuff to do. There's kind of some legitimate reason, at least more or less, you know, to greater and yeah. lesser degrees for actually being in the army. In South Africa at the time, there was no justification for any of the military action. And, you know, the actual military threat was absolutely insignificant. Of course, they made the threat way bigger. They blow it up out of proportion. And any time there's some incident, it's like this big deal. Why? Because it justifies the military presence, which they could use to suppress the guys in the townships, you know, because they'd use those same buffles and go out into the town. So they used it for, for political suppression, you know, the to justify the military but of course you have to have some threat to justify this and spend money on military and keep yourself in power and all this shit so yeah it's just all bullshit you know so I didn't feel any ethical moral guilt in getting out of any of their bullshit and the better I could make it work for me the better I, that was it you know otherwise you just get sucked into their whole bullshit thing so I didn't want to be a part of that so it was all cool, yeah. you know. D different logic a little bit, you know. And getting out of it was really difficult. I mean, they were really strict on, on, on making sure that absolutely everybody went to the military. You, you had to be like, seriously, like you couldn't literally not move to not show up. So I don't know if it was the same in Israel, but when you get called up, right? You know, because uh, well, you some of the guys that tried to get out like 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 Trump you know with his shins and shit you know you get all this but you couldn't just get the doctor's letter and give it to them like I guess they could here in America at the time you know there no you had to actually report to the camp where you were called up and the army doctors would check out and see for themselves absolutely of course they exactly. take the family doctor exactly. that is connected right. to the family exactly. and gonna give exactly. it to leave. right so so none of that bullshit but what was really amazing okay so we get called up and you get your train ticket and you go on the train and you get off so when I got called up and I got called up to an infantry regiment and essentially from what if I look at the TV here and the stuff our training is the same as Marines. It's the, the whole same story, same deal, everything. No, no real difference. So anyway, so essentially, uh, it's it's the same logic as Marines here. I don't know what the difference is between Marines and Army here, but anyway, in South Africa they were pretty heavy on the training. I was like really they, they they have different, uh, you know, they have different prides to run and different. Right, uh, right, but it's not a unit, but right. it's the whole structure of 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 that. Uh, um, yeah, no, you no, know, in Israel, the Air Force, you have the the Navy and you have the Ground Forces. Exactly, it's three different sections. Exactly, yeah. same in South Africa. But essentially, the infantry there is not the same as the Army in America. It's the same as the Marines in America. And why they have the difference between the Marines and the Army, I don't know. It seems redundant to me. But I guess the Marines are like a little more elite force than the Army. Well, it's kind of stupid because it just makes the Army like 
you guys must really suck you know what I mean? <laughs> if the marines are the same as the armies everywhere because I mean the Israeli infantry is also the same as the as the marines in America you know if not better even if you ask me but anyway yeah yeah of course you have those units uh, that are uh, more superior yeah, and more right. respected hardware right. and stuff and you have general right. forces but when we're talking about time that is before you know before the computer and right. the media right. and social media and right. phones yep. and, and yep. politically correct right. Right. I remember my friend went and he said uh, before that he didn't want to go to the army and uh, you know you have like uh, selections in when you are in high school still you know right. that, to define where to oh, send oh yeah it. absolutely and he's and and he plays uh, uh, homosexual. Ah, right, right. And uh, and uh, and they told him, "Great, you're gonna have a lot of men serving with you." <laughs> right, exactly. That's the answer, right. you know, at that time. Right. Not today. So, so <laughs> today it's the same uh, thing. Nobody right. at the time. Uh, you know, they, the, a lot of guys that were gay, they tried to use this to get out because they'd sort of seen some of the American movies, you know, from Vietnam. Yeah. This, and they, they figured this would work. Nah, it didn't work. All it got to them, because uh, in that culture in South Africa, was like, ex at the time, extreme negativity against gays. So all it got you was basically got you ostracized and got you a whole heap of negativity on your head. So it didn't really help you. It made it worse, actually. <laughs> so and some guys tried yeah. to be crazy, same thing. It didn't help them. It just made it worse for them. <laughs> so yeah, so exactly. what I'm trying to say, though, talking about the crazy... So we get on the train and and we go out to this camp out in the middle of nowhere and it's a, you know infantry regiment which uh, I, I, I it was my bad luck to be called up to the infantry the navy and the air force was decidedly better I mean way better than the infantry it was like the worst of it at any rate uh, so we get there and we just happen to get there late afternoon and they pick us up in the trucks and they drive us out now they don't drive you into the camp right they drive this like this big open area outside the camp and they dump us all there and then all the corporals and the sergeants are coming and they're organizing stuff but here's the thing though it's late afternoon it's e evening when they get us together and it's starting to get dusk now I don't know if it's like this in Israel but in South Africa at dusk it's a special time it's a weird time like things get a little spooky and like the dogs go quiet and the children go inside and, and they go quiet too it's trippy man it's a wild time and that time is coming right now the thing that makes this whole deal like really something wild is that because everybody gets called up and I mean everybody so the the people that that are the guys that are there with me that have been called up some of them are the guys that their family keep them locked up in the basement or whatever I mean like really just out of it and they're making grunting noises and you know they, they, they can hardly speak properly and all this I mean they're just people that you never ever see like I've never seen people like that until that time never mind a whole bunch of them right so these guys are like uh, they've never been outside. They they already freaked from being on the train. Okay, in the train it's a little bit more closed, but anything any change like this is is kind of scary for them and weird because they're not used to interacting socially, right? And of course the the regular guys that are being called up. I mean, you know, they like who the fuck are these guys and what's up with them? And you know, they looking at them funny and they are uncomfortable with these guys making these grunting sounds and weird noises and acting all strange. And then the, the, the army guys start to see, hey, wait a fuck, you know, the, 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 our group is getting a little restless because it's starting to get towards dusk, you know, and, and the, 
the crazy guys because that's the only way to call them really you know well, I guess mentally ill or whatever challenged or whatever the hell word you want to use they really getting a little spooked as well by, by this situation and I've never ever seen the army guys move so incredibly efficiently and effectively they realize hey if we don't get these guys sorted and, and, and separated out we're going to have a little mini riot on our hands here man they just sprang into action and they really were like absolutely I've never seen them be so efficient ever and it was the only time I saw them act this way they sorted these guys out in a hurry and separated them out so that we wouldn't have this big fuck up because man if, if it got dark and especially that time and those guys started freaking out, man. You know, you still got everybody with their luggage. And, you know, I'll bet you at least, you know, half of the guys, they had some kind of knife or something with them, and you know, that they brought with them. But just, just the, the nature of the, the type of guy that was typically called up into the inventory. I just got the bad luck to be called up with them. But uh, it would have been a mess, man. So... So that was that was a scary thing, and it was really wild to see. And then once they separated them out, the next day those guys were nowhere to be seen. I mean, you know, we go and it's all the same guys, and you you go and you check all your civilian equipment in, and they basically essentially confiscate all of it and give you your your army uniform and all that shit, and then you go and get checked out. But those guys were like nowhere to be seen, man. They were just gone. So I don't know what they did with them, but <laughs> they got rid of them really fast. That was pretty wild. It's trippy. It's just a, a little scary incident. I've never forgot it because it, yeah, it was so wild, man. But you know, nice memories, but I'm not missing it. Oh no, same, <laughs> same. You know, uh, that, that's the thing. Yes, I had a good time in the army, but still, it's a miserable mindfuck waste of time because you know you're dealing with just that mind-numbing stupidity of the army and the bureaucracy and the whole way they do things, and also just the nature of of the guys that you're hanging out with the the mind-numbing stupidity that is just every day it's unbelievable like we had to chain our yeah. laundry to the washing line underwear didn't matter if it wasn't literally chained with a padlock and a chain to the washing line it would be stolen who the fuck steals underwear <laughs> and seriously, it was incredible. And your socks was an issue. You had to dry your socks in the window and sit there watching your socks fucking dry. As if you didn't, they get stolen. It's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, the and and the the army guys told us before we came to the army. You know, part of your instruction they said bring a chain and a lock and the iron. Those were things that you had to bring with you as a civilian. It was incredible. It's just amazing, you know. Uh, just uh, like the logic that's and, and they knew that stealing was so pervasive now it's not just one or two guys that are stealing it's essentially the majority it's the exceptions who don't steal you leave anything out it's gone it, it just uh, it blew my mind that uh, the mindlessness of it too and for instance one thing that really used to piss me off okay, like Sundays or Saturdays you get a little bit of free time and you have a nap in the day these fucking morons would walk past if you're napping or somebody else would napping you know, I mean, it's like there's 30 bunks in the, in the, in the on each side. There's like a little low wall. And so there's a lot of guys staying there. Now, so it's 60 guys in this big dormitory thing, right? And two different platoons, essentially. But if they see somebody sleeping, they walk by him. You know, got the, the two rows of beds, you know, one on either side of this long wall. They would, like, grab the guy's toe and just wake him up. It's like, what the fuck? Why are you waking him up? He's sleeping. I ask the guys, why do they? Oh, I don't know. They just like couldn't stand to see somebody sleeping. I guess I don't know why. It was just a mind that kind of mindlessness. No, no logic to it. Just shit that they did, you know. 
Oh, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. So anyway, so that that was kind of like you know to to be in an environment where it just there's no real possibility of any kind of interaction or conversation or that. You know, I did eventually find it. Uh, guys to connect with but I had to go and find them elsewhere you know I'm my particular platoon nothing happening <laughs> one guy <laughs> we called him the banal tune maker this was just the time uh, dire straits was kind of big right and they came out I forget the name uh, on the love over gold album and, and, and it had really like three powerful chords like, down, down, down. I, I forget the exact sound but this guy, this one guy, the banal tune maker, he just fell in love with this song. And he had this big boombox, and there were still cassettes at that time, right? And he had this on cassette. And he would play those three chords, and then he'd stop, rewind, play. Stop, rewind, play. Three chords, stop, rewind, play. Over and over and over again, like a goldfish. It's like he didn't remember this. <laughs> three <laughs> seconds earlier. And just oh, Eventually, it got so bad, my friend and I, when he was out, we freaking all stole his batteries and threw his batteries away. <laughs> the only thing we could do to stop him. That's unbelievable, man. That's crazy. Anyway. Yeah, like you said, don't miss it. Anyway, we we got other shit to talk about, but now you're going to be talking about the army. <laughs> like you said, don't miss it, you know, and not something to recommend unless uh, you're into mind-numbingness, you know. And, of course, the drinking, too, you know. They just, like I said, the army made alcoholics out of or, – or made them alcoholics sooner then they would necessarily have otherwise been. It's just incredible. Yeah, this is, we had the issue, well, first of all, I was never into drinking, no, regardless, yeah. you know, so, but uh, the army took in Israel, it took very serious. Alcohol and drugs, if yeah. you get cut, more in drugs, yeah, I mean, yeah. if they get you smoked, and then, like right. you might find yourself sitting at least minimum three months in the army. Oh camp, yeah, you know? oh yeah, and, and they, they were very strict on the drugs too. But booze was the exception. I mean, they sold you booze in in the in the the PX. You know, it's like so. What the hell? You know, you get all strict about the freaking drugs, but you selling the booze. So you know, on the weekends, which is the only time you could go to the PX, and they give you the little army money. The guys would spend all their money on the booze. Well, besides cigarettes, it was incredible. It was amazing. Uh, but yeah, they were very strict. And forget sitting in jail if you get caught with drugs. They, you would, I forget what they called them. They had a special name for it. But uh, it was like a punishment thing. You put on the orange jumpsuit, and they they basically just exercise the hell out of you. And you know, it was very stressful. I mean, it was just not fun. It was basically kind of like uh, torture, but through through uh, physical exercise. You know, so that's crazy. So, yeah, they were very strict on it. But, you know, it just, despite all these risks, you still had idiots that would bring the freaking drugs in there and try to. Uh, drugs at that time in South Africa wasn't that huge the way it is in America or uh, other places, you know, where it's like everybody did it. No, it was very hard to get to it, and it was very small communities. It was So it wasn't part of the culture. And nobody would say, oh, yeah, I used to smoke drugs and smoke weed or whatever uh, no you wouldn't admit that in any kind of conversation just normally you know you had to like kind of get in if you wanted to do drugs and there's like little clicky groups and stuff like that it was very strict on drugs uh, the whole culture and the laws and everything and the army of course extra so but booze nah you can drink yourself into oblivion every day no problem that's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous I used to call it the booze religion yes you know they worshipped it man People thought it was the coolest thing to get drunk. I never could figure it out. 
It's trippy. Anyway, back to your Matterport. Let me look at that website. Yeah, okay, so... Actually, uh, Richard, one second. Let me just go yes. P, I'll call you back. All right. All right. Okay, in a second.